So we've been talking about love and uh, that if we want to really become like the church that you read about in the book of Acts, can't do that without love. That if we want to find fellowship in a time when fellowship is foreign to us, can't do that without love. That when we want to live out being Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, you can't do that without love. So we're just in this short little series on what love is, and it is laid out for us so well in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, and I will read that to you. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And then verse four through seven is the one I've challenged everybody to try and memorize as we do through this series, and I'm, I'm getting there. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I practice it every once in a while and haven't made it all the way through yet, but I haven't been trying too hard. I need to pick it up because we only got like another week left in the series. Um, but read this with me, uh, verse four through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then it goes on to say this, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall now fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And last week we ended on verse 6. that says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And we said that love does not delight in wrong things being done, whether injustice or sinful things or delighting in some vice that you know is wrong, but that love beyond that, when you really dig into it, it's more than that. It's love does not delight when bad things happen to other people, even if they're bad people, that love doesn't delight in that. We, we read, I in studying this, I came across uh, this in a commentary. It's Barnes Notes on the New Testament. He says this, that love does not find pleasure in hearing others accused of sin and having it proved that they committed it. It does not find malicious pleasure in the report that they have done wrong or following up that report 
finding it established. Wicked men often find pleasure in this and rejoice when others have fallen into sin and have disgraced and ruined themselves. A man often rejoices when an enemy, a persecutor, or a slander has committed some crime, when he's shown an improper spirit, uttered a rash expression, or taken some step which shall involve him in public shame or disgrace. But love does none of these things. It does not desire that an enemy, a persecutor, or a slanderer should do evil or should disgrace and ruin himself. And that was convicting to me when I read that because so often, and at least me, but I, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, we want to see people get what's coming to them, especially if they're bad people, somebody that's done some kind of wrong. We, we love to see it, them get what they deserve, get their comeuppance. That's why we watch and, and we like so many stories and so many movies where in the end, the bad guy gets it. In the end, somehow, you know, if in a Disney movie, they fall off a cliff or, or, or something like that. You know, in, in Back to the Future, uh, Biff gets punched out. In, in, you know, in Hans falls off the building in Die Hard. You know, it's just, we love to see the bad guy get what's coming to them. And Paul's saying that's not what love is. We're, even and, and it's sort of ingrained. Think of think of the Princess Bride. Uh, I'm referencing a lot of '80s movies right now. Um, next week we'll get to the '90s. Uh, but but think of the Princess Bride. Why does Fred Savage freak out? Because nobody kills Prince Humperdinck. He's, he remember he says who who gets Humperdinck and. You know, the grandfather's like, what? And he's like, who kills Humperdinck? Who kills Prince Humperdinck? And he said, nobody. Prince Humperdinck lives. And, and he's like, and he, he gets all upset. And it's because we like to see so often bad things happen to people that we think bad things deserve to happen to. And, and this is saying love doesn't wish a bad thing on anyone for any reason. And, and so that, that cuts me a little bit deep because that's so often not the way I am. So love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. It rejoices in what is true, what is good, what is noble. Uh, again, Barnes says here, the word truth here stands opposed to iniquity and means virtue, piety, goodness. It rejoices in the virtues of others. It is pleased, it rejoices when they do well. Love looks at another person and is always looking for the best in them. It's looking for the virtue in them. Even somebody that we, you know, you don't like, even somebody that you think, ah, you know, I, I wish they would get what's coming to that. It, instead, it's being transformed by the renewing of your mind and, say, and looking at that person and saying, but this is what's good about them. This is the Jesus I see in them. That's what love does. Love rejoices in all that is true in them. So he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
And then he says this, and it's going to be in NIV up here, but I'm going to read it from the ESV because there's a, a word in there that I, I just don't like how they translate it, and I'll tell you that in a second. But he builds on what he just says in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, love does not light, delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And in verse 7, he says, love always protects, which is the one that I'm like, eh, I don't get it. Uh, but... This is, this is how, how it says in the ESV. It's a little bit better of a translation for this verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Oh, you fixed it. Way to go. Um, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that's what we're going to kind of dig into and unpack a little bit for just a few minutes. So first of all, love bears all things. It means that love suffers alongside somebody, that love is long-suffering. We talked about that when we talked about love is patient, that, that love endures patiently. And, and although this version of bears all things, even though it's really close to the same idea as, as patient, it, it's a, it means also to, to cover up or to cover over with silence. Basically that sometimes you just have to shut up and let them be who they are and overlook what's annoying about them. And you know what that's like. You, you have that that relative or that person at work that it's like uh, like you, know, you just got to let them be who they are and and shut up and not you know say what you really want to maybe say but why now here's a quick question why would you have to suffer alongside them though why would you why would you need to patiently endure them why would you need to sit silently and overlook someone's faults well, verse six, because love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Because we're looking for Jesus in them, because we're looking for the good in them and, and not just focusing on what's bad about them, because we're looking at the good in them, that means if I'm gonna do that, that means I'm gonna just have to suffer alongside them, that I'm just gonna have to be quiet and bear with them and love them anyway because I'm not gonna focus on what's bad about them, because if I do that, I'm not gonna bear with them. But I'm just gonna focus on that and stick with them. And, and that's why, that's why love bears all things. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. If you love someone, whether you're close to them or you struggle with loving them, there are gonna be times that you just have to patiently endure who they are, what they do. There are times when, when you're just gonna have to kind of shut up, be quiet, and cover over the fact that you're not particularly thrilled with them. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying that you cover something up if somebody's doing something illegal or, or if they're harming themselves or if they're gonna harm somebody else that you just don't say anything. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is 
that sometimes people are going to do things and you may or may not like it, but you just kind of have to internally roll your eyes and go, okay, whatever, that's just who they are. I'm going to love them anyway and suck it up and move on. That I don't, and just tell yourself, I don't necessarily have to blow them up because I don't like what they say. I don't necessarily have to blow them up over everything. Facebook. I just, and check this out, First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you're going to love them, you're going to just have to look past some of their faults. That love bears all things. Because love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So it makes you question, why do we spend so much time on focusing on what's wrong with the person and what's wrong with people rather than what's good, the Jesus we see in them? Maybe it's because we're not as loving as we think we are. Maybe it's because we have kept a record of wrongs. Maybe it's because we take delight in people's bad rather than in rejoicing in their good. And I'm telling you, it's a place where Christians fall short. It's a place where I fall short. And the world sees that, by the way. The world sees that, that when Christians aren't, aren't long-suffering, when, when Christians are quick to blow people up over what they say, when Christians are quick to run over people with the truth wagon, The world sees that. The world sees that, and the world understands that's not loving. And it's not that we, again, not that we neglect truth, but it's that some, sometimes you just got to bear with people and trust that the Holy Spirit is working in their life some, however God wants to work, and that it might just take a little bit of time. Next, it says that love believes all things. Or maybe in your version, it says that love always trusts. Either one. The, the Greek says it's the word trusts, has faith in, gives credit to. It's that kind of idea. If you're going to show someone Christian love, not delighting in their evil, but rejoicing in the truth in them, Christian love to show someone that you might not necessarily like, Christian love to, to that guy or that girl means giving them the benefit of the doubt. Love says if you're going to trust them, you're going to trust them, even though they may not have earned it. You're going to have faith in them, even though they may not have given you a reason to. 
You're going to give them credit on a relational account, even though you feel like their credit might be bad. It means you're going to look at people differently than than how the rest of the world does, because you're going to look at them like Jesus. You're going to believe and trust them even if it doesn't quite make sense. I mean, look at Jesus as our example for a minute. Love always trusts, right? Love believes all things. Trust has faith in, gives credit to all of those things. Look at how Jesus loved the disciples. Think about Peter. Peter didn't do a whole lot to instill Jesus' trust in him. Jesus still told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. After Peter denied him. But Jesus kept believing in Peter. For as many times as Peter got it right, Peter got it wrong. But Jesus kept believing in Peter, kept trusting uh, all, you know, believes all things in Peter. Look at Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Nobody trusted tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors. And yet Jesus called Matthew, before Matthew had done anything to be worthy of Jesus, Jesus loved him trusted him, believed all things, and said, follow me. But here's the big one. This is the one God got me on this week when I was thinking about it. Judas. Jesus showed Judas trust. Jesus let Judas in his 12. Jesus had all kind of followers, but he had the inner circle of 12, and then maybe a smaller inner circle with Peter, James, and John, but Judas was in that inner circle. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. Jesus knew the kind of person that Judas was. And yet he allowed him to be in his inner circle. He loved Judas. He believed all things in Judas. Now, I'll give you this caveat too. It's not, I'm not telling you that you live unwisely. Remember that love rejoices in truth, that it does not delight in evil, injustice, it doesn't relish in those things. It doesn't just wallow in those things. But I, I think that in general, we just trust far less than what Christian love demands. That, that we're very slow to trust people, especially when they've burned us. I mean, in John chapter 12, verse 6, you remember the story where uh, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this really, really expensive perfume, and, and 
and Judas sort of raises a ruckus and he's like, look, this, this, she's wasting all this perfume. She could have used this on the poor and sold, sold this and, and paid and you know, fed the poor. And in verse six, John writes, he, Judas, did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So at least, at least John knew that this guy wasn't trustworthy. At least John knew that Judas was a thief. And I'm pretty sure if John knew that Judas was a thief, Jesus knew that Judas was a thief. I mean, after all, he's Jesus, so he knows stuff. But beyond that, John's like his best friend. If, if I'm best friends with somebody and I know that you know, a person in our group is like stealing, I'm probably going to tell my best friend about it. So it just seems like Jesus gave credit to people who weren't all that credible. And especially, I mean, and a prime example is Judas. That even though it may not make a whole lot of sense to us, Jesus loved Judas. He did not delight in evil, but rejoiced in truth. And love always trusts. And I feel like we, again, and this is maybe just me, but I feel like we fall short in this. But I'll tell you, you can't do this. You can't believe all things and keep a record of wrongs. At the same time, it's just, it's, they're diametrically opposed. If you're keeping a record of wrong about somebody, of they did this, they did this, that, you can't do that and believe all things about them. You can't fully trust them while you're saying, well, this is who, you know, this is the bad stuff they have. feel like we can be pretty unloving sometimes. Not bearing with one another, not trusting one another. It, you know, if love, if love bears all things, believes all things, I mean, that's two that I know I struggle with, which means maybe I'm not quite as loving of a person as I thought. Just an area where God's going, you know, you thought you were pretty good, and you're not bad, but there's, there's room for growth. Love believes all things. Why? Because of what he says next. Love hopes all things. Love always hopes. The word hope here is translated from the original text from the root word expects. Love is always expecting the best in the other person. That's why love always believes in them is because love is expecting what's best. 
Because love is hoping that the best version of that person is gonna be what you get. So love believes all things. If I believe that you're gonna do the absolute best thing every time, I'll trust you. If I believe that your motives are the absolute best, I'll believe, I'll believe all things if I hope all things. Love has faith in that person. And so often we become cynical. And so often instead of expecting the best, we expect the worst. That somebody's gonna try to get one by us. That somebody may not be telling us the whole truth. And so instead of living with hopeful expectation, we live with fearful suspicion. And I understand that. I get that. Sometimes those things are earned. We all know people that we live definitely more with fearful suspicion than we do with hopeful expectation. And it's not just because we decided not to like that person. It's because they have burned us a couple times. But just understand this, that when we live with that, we're not loving them. When we live with that, we're not loving them like a Christian is supposed to love people. You're not gonna love them like Jesus. And remember, that how we love other people will affect how we love God. If we can't hope all things in people, it's gonna affect how we love God. First John 4.20, we read it last week. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. If you have trust problems with people, you probably have some trust issues with God too. If you have a hard time hoping all things in people, that, that you're gonna get the absolute best from them, that that's what you're gonna give because you're not delighting in evil but rejoicing with truth. When it comes to God, maybe you aren't gonna live with this expectation of God is gonna do what's best for me. And, you, and, and that causes a lot of worry because God's gonna let something bad happen to me. Now God might and most likely will allow you to go through hard things. But you can still go through hard things with the expectation that whatever this is gonna be, there's gonna be good in it because God's in it. 
So whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And finally, love endures all things. It perseveres. The original Greek translation that it, love always abides, it stays. It bears with. This is the third time he said that, by the way. He says, it, it, love bears with when he said love is patient. He says, in a sense, love bears with when he says, when love bears all things, and he says it again a third time, in a sense, when he says love endure, or, yeah, endures all things. It's kind of like Paul understood that people are hard to get along with, that even the people you love most, sometimes you just have to be patient with them and endure them. Usually if the Bible says something or Paul says something a few times, multiple times, maybe reworded, just a little bit different, is because he wants you to get this concept. That, that love patiently waits. And look, I, I get it. With some people... Hoping and trusting and bearing all things, it takes endurance. I mean, there are some people that it's just easy. It, I mean, they're just these people, and, and it's just so easy to, to bear with them because they're not probably, you know, it's, they're just so easy. And, and hoping things and trusting them, oh, yeah, no problem. But there are other people that it takes endurance. That it... It takes perseverance. But love weathers the storm. So if your marriage is in a bad place right now, love weathers the storm. It endures. If you're in a situation right now and, and you're praying, you know, Lord, do I stay? Do I go? Do I give up? Do I walk away? Well, the question is, are you going to make the choice to love? If you're struggling with a relationship right now, love endures. To love is a choice. Love is not out of your control. We, we kind of make it seem like that in, in all the stories that, you know, in the stories we tell and, and, you know, we grow up watching, you know, people falling in love and it's just something that seems so out of your control. But, but love is a choice. Because Paul says love always perseveres. And perseverance is a choice. It's a decision. Do I give up or do I not give up? Do I love or do I not love? Now, again, I'll say what I said last week, that if you're in a marriage and you're getting beaten up, 
endure, hope, trust, bear with from a safe distance. God may allow you to leave that situation where you're being beat up, or God might ask you to stay. All, all I can say is get, get with people who you know love you and you know love God and just genuinely seek God together on that. But I, I'll give you an example. I know somebody and it, who was in an abusive relationship and he had to put major distance between himself and the other person. The person still gives him problems, but he endures from a safe distance. He always hopes that the other person will come back around. He trusts that God will lead them back and, and maybe at some point they can have a, a safe relationship, maybe not quite the same, but safe. And he bears with them because he knows there's something better in them, but he's doing it from a safe distance. But love, it's not out of your control. It's a choice. It's a real choice. The choice to love, the choice to abide with, the choice to bear with. Love endures all things. It's a choice to persevere. Because Paul says this in verse 8, that love, real love, never fails. And we talked about this two weeks ago, that fails is translated from the word flies to like run away. Love has to endure all things because love never runs away. Love never flies and love never fails. Love never quits. Love never gives up or gives out. Almost everything ends, but love doesn't. We'll talk about that next week, but that, that's how Paul en ends 1 Corinthians 13. All these things pass away, but love, it doesn't. It stays. Last week, uh, I gave you homework to actually make a list of the record of wrongs that you've been holding on to, they're in your head. But I challenge you, put it down on a piece of paper and then we're gonna give you the opportunity to get rid of it. Uh, because as long as you hold on to that list, you're delighting in evil. You're focusing on it. You're not rejoicing over the truth in that person. As long as you hold on to that list, you're doing the opposite of bearing with them. You're holding it against them. As long as you hold on to that list, you're not trusting fully, always trust. You're not believing or hoping. As long as you hold on to that list, you're not enduring. So we're gonna give you the opportunity in just a, a minute to rather than find joy in and take delight in the evil, to let that go and find joy in their good.
And you're going to have the opportunity to choose to bear with them, to choose to trust them, to choose to hope for them, to choose to endure who they may be. We're going to give you the opportunity to love them like Jesus. Who, thank God, bears all my things. Who suffers alongside me when I fail. That he, when I fail, that he doesn't fly. He just sticks with me. Bears with me. We're going to give you the opportunity to love like Jesus, who, hallelujah, believes in me, even when I don't believe in myself, and gave me credit when I was anything but credible. Because while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. A chance to love like Jesus, who prays his name, is like the father of the prodigal son and is always looking to the horizon, hoping that his son will return. Give you the chance to love like Jesus, who prays God, endures, and abides with me. But then he calls me to love like him. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And neither does Jesus. May we become more like him. Let's pray.